Hello and welcome to The Pactum. I'm Pat Abendroth with Mike Grimes. Today we are talking about the covenant of works, that great, glorious biblical doctrine. And uh, we're going to have a good time doing it. So this is actually part two. So you may want to listen to episode 81, Covenant of Works Litmus, if need be. But you wouldn't have to, but you probably should. You probably want to listen to the first episode of a two-parter. Probably so. It'll work either way. We'll do a little review here in a minute. But before we get started... We do have one very significant housekeeping item. I'm on the edge of my housekeeping seat. (laughs) We have been doing a contest for the past couple weeks, and the contest was give us a five-star review, take a screenshot, and send it to us on our email, and I have... Oh, it, Mike actually has a, a an actual Pactum I hat. A, I have a Pactum hat, and I can full. I can testify. Look I can, at all I these can, five star reviews. I can bear witness. He has um, pieces, pieces <laughs> of paper. Yes, pieces of paper inside with I would assume names on them. Yes, these are names of those who have submitted their five star review. Thank you so much for all your kind and encouraging words that you put out there with the five star review. Again, it really wasn't to bolster our egos. Well done, Pactum verse listeners. So for Pat's all of gonna the draw love. a name out of the Pactum Uh-oh. hat to see who I'm wins. Reaching across the, the table. Pactum pack. Okay. Who well, wins the Pactum pack? It looks like the winner of the Pactum pack contest is none other than Aaron Staggs. Aaron Staggs, you are our winner. So okay. we'll be in touch with you, Aaron. Thanks so much for participating, and you'll receive your Pactum Pack. Do we have any um, like parting gifts for people who didn't win? Um, a seal of approval. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> we will do other contests. And uh, you know what? You can buy some Pactum gear and it's pretty inexpensive. We're it's not, not trying to make bad. money. Yeah. So yeah. We're we, trying to we still even. would love to have you. Yeah. Be a part. Yeah. So thank well, thanks you for, everybody but, for participating. Appreciate it. Awesome. Even if we didn't have a contest, it actually was awesome to see. Some, yes, it was. To love. see the Pactum verse yep. all over. I'm going to toss this over to you, Mike. Got it. So you've got that. Super. I wonder what our next contest is going to be. Maybe 100, episode number Maybe 100. Maybe I'm for sure positive that on the 100th episode, there's got to be something happening. Okay. So when we talk about the covenant of works, we are talking. When, when you hear covenant, you think formal agreement. Covenant of works, we're talking about that formal agreement between, that formal arrangement, if you will, uh, between God the Creator and Adam, the created being who is a representative of the human race. Life was promised to Adam and in him to his posterity, those he represents upon condition of perfect and personal obedience. That's what we're talking about when we're talking about the covenant of works, right? Yep. Yep. So last week on the episode, we talked about several things about the pact. Mike, this, <laughs> this past Sunday, when you were making announcements during the church service, and you said, we have several announcements, I did. and you kind of looked over at me, and I don't know if it was on purpose or not, it but was. I, I had the total besmirched <laughs> kind of grin, <laughs> and I, I think I even said under my breath, several. Uh-huh. I did it on purpose. Okay. I don't know where I was going with all that. Positive. Okay. What were you going to say as far as several? We did cover several aspects of the Covenant of Works in our episode last week. We did. Uh, We talked about, does it end with Adam? Right. And we said, strictly speaking, yes, but no, it's still in play. Right, right. Right. Uh, We also talked about, what are some other names of the Covenant of Works? This is all by review for those of you who may not have listened last week, and if you don't want to listen, but what are some other names it goes by? Covenant of Life, Covenant of Works, Covenant of Creation, Covenant of Nature. Good. kinds of things. Yep. And then we talked about why it was so important. 
That's going to be a tough one to do a quick recap on. Yeah, I think we can skip We'd that. Really we'll encourage we'll, we'll, you to go back and listen to that episode because it's in the Bible and it's biblical, and you're going to get a whole th- a whole lot of things wrong if you don't. Yeah, and we also talked about some scripture passages where you see the covenant works in scripture. Yep, as well. like Romans chapter five. That would be a big one. Eighteen and nineteen. It's about obedience and disobedience. Right. Condemnation, justification. That's why you need Jesus, basically. And right. That, that's kind of where we stopped. Yep, that's where we stopped. So we're here picking up on the covenant of works litmus two. Yes, sir. And so let's talk about what's not to like about the covenant of works. Who in the world, who in the world would not like the covenant of works? What, why, why not like it? What's not to like? What's not to like? Well, I, I think what's not to like is if you want to be in on the action, if you want to be in on the glory, yeah. if yep. you're a glory grubber, which seems to be part of the fallen condition. Sure, yeah. If you want a little bit of praise, maybe God does part, you do part, and maybe in the end, you know, we we did it kind of thing for salvation. In other words, if you affirm the covenant of works and you're clear on the covenant of works, it leaves absolutely no room for self-exaltation, the self-exaltation of sinners. Yeah. No, not None. None at all. Because we can't fulfill the covenant of works. And Adam failed. We're united to Adam. Uh, not only that, as far as the requirements still there, and we, we simply cannot obey God as he requires as sinners. And so the covenant of works helps keep that clear. Yeah. Uh, and what it does is then it requires that justification be by grace alone, through faith alone, in the finished work of Christ alone. alone. So what's not to like? Well, what's not to like is again, if I want in on some of the glory, some of, some of the merit is mine. Maybe justification, maybe just in part is by works, my Mm -hmm. works. Well, I'm going to hate the covenant of works. That's not, that's what's not to like. And that's kind of, Go ahead. I was say, that's kind of wired into our DNA, isn't it? To always want to have a part, to earn something, to do something, to get that glory. Glory grubbers. Right. So it's kind of wired the way we work. And so that, that can be that can rub people the wrong way. So it's humbling. It is. It absolutely is. Yep. Now, we should probably also talk uh, about who likes the covenant of works, who doesn't like the covenant of works. We can name some names. Oh, we'd be naming names today. To give you some sense as to, well, if you're going to affirm the covenant of works, know who's against it. If you're going to affirm the covenant of works, know who's on your team and who wears your jersey, so to speak. Right. So as far as who likes it, well, I would generally say, and others have said, it's the general consensus of reformed theologians for a long, long time, ever since there's been reformed theology. Right. Yeah. Obviously we want to say that it's biblical first and foremost, which we talked about last time, but when it comes to history, well, reformed theologians have agreed regarding the covenant of works, maybe not recently full agreement though. Shame, shame, shame on them. Uh, but it's a classic reformed kind of doctrine. Right. Yeah. Right? John Fesco, who would be in favor of the covenant works and yes, likes it. Indeed, yes, indeed, indeed. Uh, he would be on the team. He says, regardless of the name, early modern reformed theologians agreed regarding the existence of the covenant of works. So oh. it, just like you were saying, it's it's part of the reformed tradition. Yep. And maybe if you want to think of contemporary authors, uh, R.C. Sproul, I think R.C. probably believes right. it like he's never believed it before yeah. because now he's in glory. Yeah. So, But that would be a familiar name, who uh, someone who's championed and promoted the reality of the biblical doctrine of the covenant of works. Uh, 
maybe another author that you might be familiar with, uh, more on the academic side of things than RC, would be Louis Burkhoff. Yes. Is it Louis or Louis? Uh, you know, we, I think we ask that almost every time. Louis, uh, Louis, you know, it's, it's Burkhoff. <laughs> so that would be a good systematic theology where you would find the covenant of works articulated, promoted, defended. Yep. If we want to go back from uh, back in time, we could talk about Francis Turretin. Yes. And Turretin was a proponent and affirmer of the reality of the covenant of works and would have even called it as such. Yes. The list could go on and on. Uh, It's a pretty standardized doctrine. Uh, Just earlier, I referenced, I I think I basically quoted from the Westminster Confession, Mm -hmm. and the same would be true with the 1689 Confession. Um, So it's it's standardized. Yeah. Not standardized tests, but well. It's the standardized test, right? Of all standardized tests. So there is that. Now we probably should talk about the the haters. Who doesn't? Yeah, that is, that's what people want to know. They want to, who, who doesn't, who in their right mind would not (laughs) want to uh, be about the covenant of works? Well, their headquarters is uh, called the Vatican. Yes. Rome. So Roman Catholicism would be a good example of a group of individuals, uh, theologians, professing Christians who don't like the covenant of works. And that would make a lot of sense. Yes, it would. Yeah. Right. Because uh, since they officially anathematize, they officially damn justification sola fide. Right. Well, of course they're not going to like the covenant of works because those two doctrines actually go hand in hand. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, if you're a Roman Catholic, um, May God bless you and lead you to believe that God justifies the ungodly, because that's what Romans 4 says. So we're not Roman Catholic haters. Uh, We're Roman Catholic lovers. But it makes sense why your church would teach uh, or or not um, promote something called the covenant of works, because they think somehow you're actually going to do some works to to get you there. Yeah, yep. So maybe if we want to move beyond the obvious, uh, though I might like to put a little dig in and say for all of you who aren't Roman Catholics and don't like the covenant of works, it might be, it might smell a little Roman Catholic, <laughs> you're despising of the covenant of works. And if, especially if you're going to try to put some works in your category, yeah, that's it might kind of, I kind of have, I, it smells a little Romish. There's an aroma. Oh, Hey, come on now. You should quit your day job. <laughs> no, nope, you could be a happen. stand-up comic. No, no, not a chance. Okay, so now let's maybe move into some specific um, names, maybe some more specific names that yeah. are not Roman Catholic. Uh, and I think one that really stands out when you read the literature, when you read the debates back and forth, and people promoting, people going after the covenant of works in the history in more recent days. Uh, an important name is Karl Barth, and mm. Karl Barth was 1886 to 1968. Mm. And I highly influential. So whether you've, right. if you've read theology, you know, the name, uh, if you haven't, you might not know the name, but re- a huge influence when it comes to, uh, even theologians today, he, he had to be dealt with. He had to be responded to, even if you didn't like him, but many people did like him. Uh, he was a neo-Orthodox Swiss theologian and Bart is known for, making everything gracious. Yes. Yeah. And so therefore, if you make everything gracious, then you will be opposed to classic reformed covenant theology because in classic covenant reformed theology, you have uh, this distinction between covenant of works and covenant of grace. Well, he just flattens everything, no contours and everything is gracious. And so what ends up happening is 
Bart didn't like covenant theology. He didn't like those who followed Calvin. And this is a bogus claim. But basically he said, well, I'm going to go back to Calvin against you Calvinists, which has been proven to be on uh, unhistorical errant. But that was kind of his shtick, hmm. kind of his thing. He would have been what we call monocovenantal right. yeah. because everything is law and gospel at the same time. Everything is it's kind of all... works and grace at the same time. And uh, it just does wreaks havoc on the actual gospel. Hmm. So you've got to know some things about Bart. Um, people who are enamored by Bart um, typically are going to get this one get this one wrong. Hmm. I think even without knowing it, I think a lot of people ended up being Bardian. I, I, maybe without even knowing it, but hugely problematic. And that does bring us to the next opposer. Yes, uh, and that would be and the list could be long. These are just some of the big names. Right. Influential yeah. names we're choosing. Yeah, yeah. Yep. The next name would be John Murray, mm. 1898 to 1975, longtime professor at Westminster Seminary in Philadelphia. Yeah. And uh, he's written some great stuff. Um, classic right. Romans commentary. His book, Redemption Accomplished and Applied, yep. Yep. is deluxe amundo. Yep. It's fantastic. It, it, it really is. But at one point in time, John Murray said he wanted to recast covenant theology. And he ends up trying to kind of make everything gracious. Hmm. And so he opposed the covenant of works, um, I think rather inconsistently, because when you read some of the other things he said, like in redemption, accomplished and applied, right, right. Um, it, it, it sounds so good and so right. <laughs> um, but anyhow, uh, he wants to do this recasting kind of thing. And he ends up saying, well, the Adam was not in a covenantal relationship with God. It's not a covenant because you don't have a covenant till later. It kind of sounds like biblicism, which we're not going to talk about really today. And it led to some bad things. So I personally, though some would disagree, I personally think he he opened the door uh, and then who came next but Norman Shepard. Right, and he yeah. just marched right through that door at Westminster Seminary, Philadelphia. Shepard goes on to deny justification by grace alone through faith alone. Yes, yeah. And I, I do think one thing may have been related to another. And if you want to learn about the Shepherd controversy, it's not too hard to learn about it or find find out about it. And uh, it really un he really undermined and assaulted and denied the Protestant biblical doctrine of justification. Yeah, yeah. And again, we're going to trace it back to when you get the covenant of works wrong, you are going to get justification wrong. Yes, and yes. it's critical. Yeah. So all you're right. saying one thing led to another from Murray to Shepherd, and that's where this all kind of trickles down from there. From my seat, from my Pactum chair, I'm not even on the Pactum sofa. <laughs> uh, it's there. There seems to be a connection there. Yeah. So I don't want. I don't want. To, I'm not hating on Murray per se, uh, but I think he was tinkering and in, in this recasting. Sure. And the, those who went after him just made a big mess of things. Yes. They made a mincemeat pie. <laughs> <laughs> that they did. Who, what other kind of people do we want to talk about? So Pactum uh, listeners, you can be aware and beware of those who are not affirming classic covenant theology, even right. if they use the word covenant a lot. Even sure. if they even say they believe in covenant theology, they're not promoting the classic version of it that holds to a covenant of works and a covenant of grace. Yeah. So one that some of our listeners may have heard of even more recently would be N.T. Wright. 
Oh my goodness! Uh, I almost would, spit my coffee out when you just I, said sorry, that word. Wrong, wrong time to say that. But uh, N.T. Wright, he's going to be one who's going to advocate for justification by faithfulness. He definitely is. Most definitely. I listened to a an audio clip the other day from him. I think I listened to it twenty times, just because Why? he can be rather confusing. And he is a good debater, and yeah. he's winsome, yeah, yeah. and all of those kinds of things. But he's just making fun of the covenant of works. And what he ends up doing is teaching uh, an aberrant, abhorrent, if you prefer, uh, <laughs> version of imputation. Yeah. And it, he just... It's it's terrible. So yeah. he is no friend of the gospel, and uh, I know people have a man crush oftentimes uh, on N.T. Wright. Yep, and. It's unfortunate because people are deceived and misled, and what he's teaching is something contrary to sound doctrine. I know he says some things that are right. I know he's conservative as far as his church affiliation is concerned, but he gets this one absolutely wrong uh, on things. And uh, I'll, to my dying day, say that when he's busy making fun of things like the covenant of works. It's no wonder it's... Justification by faith and works. It's somehow following the faith of Jesus and the faithfulness of Jesus. And I want to say, no, Jesus was faithful, and that's why we trust in him. That's why his work is credited to us. Yep, yep. And if we want to keep naming, let's do, let's do a couple more couple names more, yep. of people that might stand out. Yeah. Uh, one would be Dan Fuller. Dan Fuller was an opponent of the covenant of works and the distinct, distinction between uh, law and gospel. And Dan Fuller of Fuller Seminary, the son of the founder, I believe, uh, fame. I'm holding his book here, Daniel P. Fuller, The Unity of the Bible. Mm. Uh, great name, terrible book. I uh, also have his book here, Daniel Fuller, Gospel and Law. Uh, well, I wanted to say great name, but notice he flips it on purpose, yeah, right. which is a Bardian thing to do. He does, yeah, it's on purpose. Uh, yeah, Bart, Bart does that very same thing, and he's in the same bad stream of Bart, and so it's Gospel and Law. So uh, he wants to blur the two uh, and do gospel and get both wrong. So... Uh, Dan Fuller, by the end, uh, is denying, again, justification by grace alone, through faith alone, and the finished work of Christ alone. He's denying the gospel uh, in that sense, and uh, really ends up being somebody who's doing false teaching. Hmm. Yep. Now, lots of our listeners don't know Dan Fuller. Some do, but they don't know Dan Fuller and his influence. Right. Um, but when I look at this book, both of these books actually are endorsed by John Piper. Hmm. Oh, so there's that. So here I have the unity of the Bible and in the foreword by John Piper, he says, no book besides the Bible has had a greater influence on my life than Dan Fuller's The Unity of the Bible. Then he goes on to say, um, when he read this book, God's law stopped being at odds with the gospel. Red flag, red flag, red flag. And then he said, he goes on to say, uh, he talks about the so-called covenant of works John Piper does. And then he says, which I never could find in the Bible. Hmm. So here's a book that blends law and gospel, uh, blends faith and works, and somehow your salvation is by your faith and your works, and and Piper affirms it, and Piper makes fun of the covenant of works as something unbiblical. Hmm. So John Piper may have introduced a lot of us to big God theology we've talked about, um, to Calvinism maybe, the five points of Calvinism, uh, to glorify God, uh, some really good, important things. Um, But when you hear him talk about justification being by faith and works in some way or another, 
Ah, uh-huh. now you know why. Yeah. This is not a new thing for him. It's been going on for a long time. Yes. And in the second book by Dan Fuller, uh, that also has an endorsement by John Piper, the one where Fuller essentially denies justification, just flat out, um, Piper says uh, that it would be it, it would be no accident, therefore, if gospel and law, this book, changed lives as it has mine as well as hermeneutical systems. Hmm. So just another good example of somebody who denies the covenant of works and then they end up getting justification wrong. Uh, and it's just a mess. It's sad, and but but it's enlightening to see, oh, when you get this reality wrong, you're going to get the other reality wrong. Right. And we talked about that last week in the episode, the importance of the covenant works and seeing how we're in desperate need of righteousness. And that's only going to come through Jesus Christ, the righteous for us. And so you see when people deny the covenant of works, how that trickles down in their understanding of justification. Yep. Now, speaking of that, since you brought that up, the imputation, uh, Piper has a little book on imputation that I think is actually quite good Mm. and maybe runs contrary to these things. Yeah. So, oh, how our worlds can be confusing sometimes. Right, yeah. Maybe I said we were only only going to mention two more, but maybe one additional name we could mention, uh, and maybe it's more of a school of thought, not a name. But within theonomy, um, certain theonomists don't like the covenant of works. And so that might make sense because plenty of theonomists, I'm not going to say all, but plenty of theonomists believe uh, in justification by faith and something you do. Right. Yeah. So once again, it would make sense. Right. In so many ways, listeners, uh, the covenant of works is a safeguard and mm. it, or, or it's a telltale sign. If somebody, if somebody fudges here um, or weasels out on this one, watch out yeah. when it comes to yeah. justification. Yeah. So for example, I have another book here in front of me by uh, Joseph Boot, who is a popular theonomist these days, I'm told. That's what the kids tell me. That's what the kids are telling And uh, in his book, Gospel Culture, he denies the covenant of works uh, and is really making fun of the covenant of works in the book. So it makes a lot of sense to me why he gets uh, other doctrines wrong. Strangely enough, though, I also saw online because I wanted to do a little due diligence. He basically affirms the covenant of works, but then he goes on to make it gracious, which is a denial yeah, of the classic covenant of works. <laughs> so it's a thing. It is. And- it's a thing. You know, I haven't asked you for the longest time on the pactum, but what do dispensationalists think of the covenant of works? Oh, dispensationalists. First of all, let's acknowledge that you can be a dispensationalist and you can affirm the covenant of works. It's been done before. Yes. Yeah. So, and may your tribe increase. If you are going to be a dispensationalist, please be the kind that affirms the covenant of works Yep. yep. Uh, because that would be a good thing to do. Having said that, I think um, other dispensationalists have rejected the covenant of works and they've rejected it simply because they don't want to be associated with the system known as covenantalism. Yeah, sure. And so uh, I find it intriguing that some of the older dispensationalists actually had a category that looked a lot like covenant of works. Hmm. So I'm thankful for them. Yeah, yeah. I almost wonder if some of the later dispensationalists have so tried to build safety, this wall of safety around dispensationalism uh, that they don't want to have anything called the covenant of works. So kind of depends. Um, My favorite kind of dispensationalists are those who affirm biblical doctrines uh, like the covenant Covenant of works. works. (laughs) So be that kind of guy or gal, please, please, please. We don't want you to be left behind. No, we don't. (laughs) (laughs) Well, speaking... 
Speaking of I wish Doc, we'd all been oh man, ready. Like those are the days, I tell you. Well, speaking of doctrines, as you just said, let's talk maybe about the covenant of works and how it relates to other doctrines. How does it relate to other doctrines? We've already talked in this episode some and in the previous episode a little bit about justification, imputation, but are there some other doctrines or things that uh, the covenant of works relates to? I think a good place to start would be with the active obedience of Christ. Yeah. yeah. So we've done two episodes on that. You can look those up and listen to those. They're important. But I find it fascinating, especially since you just brought up dispensationalism. I've known dispensationalists who have rejected the active obedience of Christ and they've done so because they've said, literally, I can't believe in the act of obedience of Christ because that's related to the covenant, covenant of works. works. Hmm. And yeah. so, and sadly, crazily, what they've done is denied the imputation of Christ's righteousness as the obeyer of God's law, which is what the act of obedience of Christ is. And they've done it to their peril, really, yeah. theologically, because they're, they, they know, how about this, at least they're smart enough to know they're enlightened enough to know that active obedience of Christ and the covenant of works, indeed, yeah. hand in hand, hand in glove, they actually do go together. So hats off to them in one sense, but in another sense, seriously, you yeah. really despise uh, the covenant of works so much that you're going to deny the active obedience of Christ and yeah, undermine that's... justification. So think of it in these terms, listeners. What you end up having is you have justification being through faith alone. Right? It's not anything that we do based upon Romans 3, Romans 4. Right. It comes to us by resting in Christ. It's his. It's his, oh, how can we be declared righteous? Well, because Christ is actually righteous, meaning he's obeyed the law perfectly. Oh, but that means he has to obey the law perfectly because he's in this unique kind of covenantal relationship with God as the last Adam. Oh, now we're talking covenant of works kind of stuff. Right, yep. So it, it's both, both of those are definitely related. Um, and so personally, I came to believe in the covenant of works with all of my heart and being because of the doctrine of justification, because it's built upon imputation, which is built upon the work of Christ and obeying, which is tied to the covenant of works. Yeah. So it really is critical when it comes to what lies beneath <laughs> in a good sense, yeah. what, what lies beneath the gospel is justification. Uh, although other things are included, you can't have the gospel without justification, right? Then it's imputation, then it's obedience. And that goes back to covenant of works. Right. And then if we want to switch gears a little bit, other doctrines that are related, well, let's talk. So we're talking about the work of Christ. We're talking about justification as it would relate to me, Pat Abendroth, uh, as it would relate to you, Mike Grimes, as it would relate to all of you listening. Um, the doctrine of assurance hmm. is vital and crucial and yeah. balm to our weary souls. The Bible says you can have assurance in Romans chapter eight, verse one, uh, because we're justified. Well, guess what? The reason you can have assurance is because the works have yeah. been done. Yeah. Yeah. The obedience has actually been accomplished. Yep. And if it hasn't, then you really can't have assurance. Right. Yeah. So it's a, it's a, it's a vital doctrine. To, to maybe cross-pollinate here and make some connections. When we talked about Roman Catholicism, well, that's something they, they won't tolerate is assurance. Hmm. Yeah, and it, right. it would make sense that they won't tolerate assurance. Right. Yeah. So maybe to wrap up this particular portion, there's a great quote by Turretin where he says, thus, what was demanded of us in the covenant of works is fulfilled by Christ in the covenant of grace. Hmm. Yeah. So 
It costs him a whole lot, uh, and it comes to us freely. It's important that we talk about the covenant of works. That's what this episode is about. I'm Pat Abendroth with Mike Grimes. <laughs> You're listening to the Pactum. We're talking about the covenant of works. It's like pausing for station identification. We're going to thank no, all <laughs> of the people. All of the people. Oh, man. So, okay, we've kind of moved into this direction already, but what difference does the covenant of works really make? I mean, we, you mentioned assurance. Assurance is a big one, it's for a sure. a big, big deal. Yep. And uh, when people are struggling with assurance, I think one thing you can do is help them to understand the covenant, covenant of, of works. works. Sure, yeah. Yep. They might not even realize just how much God requires. Yeah, right. Personal, yep. perfect, perpetual obedience. Only one place to look. But how does it make a difference beyond that, which is huge, so I don't even want to go beyond sure, that. Sure, yeah. Uh, we've already talked about how it really makes a difference on who gets the glory. Yep. Yep. Who's, who's going to get it? Is it in part us? Is it in part him? Is it, you know, 90 to 10? Is it 80, 20? No, it's a hundred percent. The Lord Jesus Christ, the worthy lamb. It also makes a difference. And this is a big one. It makes a difference in hermeneutics, hmm. how we interpret the Bible. Sure. Yeah. And, uh, actually going back to that terrible Dan Fuller book called Gospel and Law, it talks about this being a hermeneutics issue. Okay. And the quote also that I read from John Piper says, it's about hermeneutical systems. And what we mean by this is if you read the Bible and it says, do this and live, hmm. well, what are you going to conclude? Well, I better get busy. Better get busy doing stuff. Right? So, yeah. well, actually, no, it's a, that's a... a repetition. It's a restatement of the covenant of works as we talked about in episode 81. So it's going to, it's going to help me interpret the whole Bible when Jesus says, do this and live. Oh, that's covenant of works talk. Um, I, I'm going to interpret that in a certain way. I'm not going to read Jesus when he says, do this and you'll do this and live. I'm not going to say, okay, congregation, um, how's your quiet time? <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. I'm not going to say, yeah. you know, how, how are your tithes and offerings today? Because do this, obey God right. and you'll gain eternal life. That sounds like somebody who's part of a different religion, but you know, I based it upon the meaning of Greek words <laughs> and uh, grammar and syntax. Yep. No, the whole Bible, uh, grammar and syntax, is going to help me to say, I'm interpreting the Bible through this covenant of works lens. There's this covenant of works reality, and it will always be a reality, which is why you always need Jesus who fulfilled the divine obligation. Hmm. I, can't, I can't stress enough how it is absolutely for good, radically influenced the way I interpret the Bible. Right, we're going to read a psalm, yeah. and it says, you know, basically, yeah. God is for the righteous. Right. Well, well, yeah, God is for the law keepers. Right. How's that how's working that out work? for you? How I, how, how's that working out how for I can you? Become one of those. <laughs> yep, exactly. And so, God is not for me if I'm a violator of His law. And the Bible says, all have sinned, all have been violators of His law. So it, it's just built in the in the in the fiber of Scripture. There's a covenant of works, formally with Adam, but repeated. In principle, it's always there, which should cause us to say, woe is me for I'm undone. Yeah. I need help from the outside. Right. Yeah. Talk about practical. Yeah. It's going to change the way we read the Bible, interpret the Bible. If we have assurance, if we don't have assurance, if we're glory grubbers or not, <laughs> et cetera, <laughs> et cetera, et cetera. So if the, if the covenant of works is so clearly biblical, as we're saying it is here on the pactum, uh, and it's so important and vitally important to understand why why would there be any pushback why would people want to you know disagree or push back or try to oh, i'm not i'm not taking that 
Did you just go, uh? I did. I went sound effect, uh. You should have seen the hand motions. <laughs> I'm trying to figure out how to get this out of my <laughs> mouth push, and head push, here. Pushback. Pushback. Is is it, <laughs> it goes back to what we mentioned earlier, and that's this, you know, to God alone be the glory, soli deo gloria. That's, mm. it's, that's a threat to us as sinners. Sure, yeah, Because yeah. To, to me alone, or at least be some of the glory. Yeah. I don't know what that is in Latin. Yeah. But <laughs> at least give me some of the glory Yes, it is biblical. I can prove it with the Bible. It is as clear as possibly could be, and yet people don't like it. Well, why mm. is that? They don't like it because we're bent, to, prone to wonder, Lord, I feel it. Right, yeah. It's just what we do. Uh, if God says it's only by grace, then somehow somehow, grace is not only grace. I like to say, if I were the devil, and I just want you to know, Pactum listeners, <laughs> I'm not. But if I were the devil... Um, you know, I, I would aim at focusing on making things like this unclear, hmm. because if I can do this, I can mislead people, sure, and deceive yeah. people. But but I also know uh, it once people see this, they can't unsee it. Yeah, it ruins them for life in a good, good way. way. Yeah, that's a good ruining. So, but I think justification by grace alone through faith alone is always going to be threatened because you know it's the doctrine upon which the church stands or falls. It's the hinge upon which the the gospel door opens. I mean, it's so critical and crucial. Right. People are going to get it wrong. And if there's one thing to attack, if you're an opponent of the Bible, there are other things, but this is one of those things we should attack. Yeah. And another reason why people don't believe it, even though it's patently clear and defensible and historic and all of that, uh, is because sometimes people are taught that if they can't find it in a word search, which we laugh about sometimes yeah, on the Pactum, right, right, yeah. covenant of works. Yeah. Well, you can look it's it up zero. in every translation. No hits. Known to whoever. We should come up with our own translation. Maybe we could. We could maybe make money. Oh. <laughs> buy I'm getting the, uncomfortable. To, I'm going to leave. To buy that <laughs> packed and plain that we so badly There you go. Need. The jet. That's right. Doing the Lord's work. Yes. <laughs> so <laughs> you can't find it in a word search be, right. uh, because yeah. biblicism isn't true. The concepts are there. The realities are there. We don't even mind if you want to call it something else, yeah. uh, but it probably would be helpful and less confusing if you just call it what... Christians have been calling it for a long time. Right. Yeah. It's the covenant of works. The yeah. reality is there. Maybe I should remind you listeners what I've reminded you of in past episodes. And that is, you can look up in the Bible in Genesis one to three, the word covenant, it's not there. So how could there be a covenant of works as the debate goes or, right. or as the lame opposition goes, right. they assume you're gullible. They assume you're stupid. Uh, but we know Pactum listeners are not gullible. They're not stupid and neither are your hosts. <laughs> and, uh, it doesn't say sin it either. Does, yeah, that's right. And yet, obviously there is a violation of God's commandment right. when they disobeyed God and there is sin uh, the Davidic covenant in second Samuel seven it's not called a covenant yeah. but it's certainly a covenant and so let's not be so gullible let's not be so silly and foolish as to believe bad arguments yeah so do you think that somebody has to believe in the covenant of works to be a Christian obviously <laughs> <laughs> thankfully that's not not the case right right salvation yeah. is by grace alone God saves us wonderfully because we come to believe that Jesus did everything necessary so that we can have eternal life I'm so thankful for that yeah 
but we want to learn more so that we can grow in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ right. and give him proper glory and honor. So uh, for sure, you don't have to believe this to be a Christian. Um, I haven't believed it my whole Christian life. Right. But if you would have said to me, is salvation of the Lord? I would have said yes. Yeah, yeah. Is it by only by grace? Of course. Yeah. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Right, right. Only through faith? Faith, of course. Yeah. Now, but let's say this, Mike, how about if we, of course, you don't have to believe it to be a Christian, and yet I do use it as a, a real litmus, covenant sure, of yeah. works litmus. Uh -huh. So I be informed, get on board. It is a real litmus. And when it comes to pastors and teachers, even though pastors are growing too, um, when people dig their heels in and yeah, they're yeah. informed and they reject and deny the covenant of works, um, I... I well, what should we say, Mike? Sanctify this conversation. Well, I mean, if you have opponents who are digging their heels in... Like Dan Fuller, I'm going to say, right. you actually rejected you're, the gospel. Yeah, you're undermining sound doctrine. You're opposed to these things. The, yeah, the gospel. Important things, right. to the point where Galatians 1 damns you if you add works to faith. Sadly, he actually does that, and people get on board and say... This book is, you know, life changing. Right, but we're not saying there's room right here for those who are teachable, maybe newer in the faith. Because because or, right? I, I hope so, right? Yeah, we, we've been, we've yeah. been those people. Yeah. So we're not saying if you've never really even heard of the covenant of works and you're just coming across this, we're so glad you're we're, listening. Yes, and we're not saying that you're outside the camp. That's lots not lots of saying. room for patience. Yes, um, but we are saying for those who are digging their heels in and ready to go to battle over the covenant of works and say. No, it's not a thing. Yeah. It's, then that's that's a problem. Yep. And, and in real life and ministry, uh, this next Sunday when I'm preaching a biblical text uh, where it's law, I want it to be law. And where it's gospel, I want it to be gospel. Um, covenant of works, covenant of grace. But at the same time, I'm not. We're not going to take a t uh, take attendance and then give everybody a quiz, right, right? Um, but there will be people who will clearly hear us teach, do this, and live as that's covenant of works. Yep. And they're going to say, well, if you're teaching that, that's covenant theology, so we're out of here. Well, I wish that wouldn't happen. Yeah. Um, but that's not saying something very good about you and your perspective on this classic Protestant doctrine of justification. Yeah. So you mentioned covenant theology. Um, isn't the covenant works just covenant theology? Oh. Is that the case? By George, I think you've got it. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed it is. This is classic covenant theology. Right, and yeah. sometimes people have been told that that's the boogeyman. Uh, and you know what? I think the boogeyman is actually not the boogeyman. So it's actually biblical sound doctrine. Sure. Yeah. Um, it is what it is. So, hey, the water's warm. Come on <laughs> Come in. Come on in. <laughs> uh, you're, you're invited. And if you don't want to call it covenant theology, you don't have to, but it's covenant theology. Classic covenant theology. Last time I checked in the Evangelical Dictionary of Theology, it's been a while, but I used to check now and then. Um, covenant theology basically affirms the covenant of works and the covenant of grace and the covenant of redemption. Uh, so that's what covenant theology is. So it's not about your millennial view, yeah. Um, but we're oftentimes told that that's actually what it is about. We probably should recommend some resources yes, and yeah. wrap up this amazing, astounding. Here we go. Astronomical. <laughs> I knew you'd run out fast on that one. Well, some resources we'd recommend for you about the covenant of works. Uh, first, we have episode 38 of the Pactum, the covenant of works. That is with John Fesco. 
Uh, we recommend you listen to that one yep. and be encouraged. Uh, also, he has a book, John Fesco has a book called Adam and the Covenant of Works, an excellent, excellent resource on the topic. Yep. We would sure. recommend Sacred Bond by Michael Brown and Zach Keel. Uh, we would recommend the... I, this is a good way to put it. I would recommend the writings of Michael Horton. Yeah. Oh, sure. Yeah. Because he understands this and is clear about it. So even if he doesn't mention it by name... Um, he will, he will be clear about it and he keeps his ever loving mind clear about theology without blurring the two. Yeah. And then also your dissertation would be a great resource, uh, especially for recovering biblicists. If you are a recovering biblicist, um, and trying to, to figure out who the boogeyman is and who it isn't, um, it might be a good resource for you. Yeah. Thanks so much for joining us here today on the Pactum as we talk about the covenant works part two. We're thankful for all our listeners. Pat's shaking up. Beans of some sort over in the corner. Secret beans. Secret beans. It's not Jack and the Beanstalk beans, but they're secret beans that we might be talking about on a future episode. Stay tuned for more on that. Thanks for listening. You can reach out to us online, Instagram, Twitter, connect at thepactum.org. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks for listening. See you next week on The Pactum.